Hey, I'm your host, Joshua Hunter, and welcome to the Treat Your Health Podcast. This show is a personal development book review podcast that aims to bring you the knowledge, wisdom, and tools from books that I read and love and deliver them to you in a dynamic way so that you can learn to treat your health and create your best life. Now come, listen, learn, laugh, and grow. Let's go. Uh. Hey, hey, welcome to the Treat Your Health Podcast. <laughs> uh, my name is Joshua Hunter. I'm your host. And I want to start this episode off with a little bit of gratitude and say thank you. Thank you for your time and your attention today. There's so many things out there in the world today that grab our attention and so little time to do it. I truly and deeply appreciate you taking your time to spend with me today. So with that being said, let's get into the first book of the podcast. I'm really excited to bring you this book. It's called Younger Next Year, Turn Back Your Biological Clock. Live fit, strong, and sexy until you're 80 and beyond by Chris Crowley and Henry S. Lodge, MD. I'm excited about this book because this book helped me change the way that I look up. I, I approach my health and fitness and the health and fitness of my clients. So a little bit of background, I'm a personal trainer. I've been doing so for the last 10 years. And my, the reason, the impetus for me getting into fitness was insecurity. I wanted to build my body. I wanted abs. I wanted biceps and chest. I wanted to look good. I wanted to get girls. I wanted to be less scared and more intimidating and like just all the things. It was all about surface stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. There is absolutely nothing wrong with building your body to look better. It's fun to look good. It's fun to be strong. Uh, It's great for your confidence and your self-esteem. So if you've never done it before, you should do it. But I got to a point in my life where I had done it. I'd gotten the abs. I've gotten the pecs and arms and all that good stuff. And it didn't fix my problem. In addition to that, I'd built injuries. I'd kind of torn my body up going too hard because I didn't know how to rest. I didn't know how to pace it out. Um, I'm an Aries for one, which you know, if you know any Aries, we get after it. <laughs> we go hardcore. And also, like I said, that insecurity drove me to push, 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 push and not have any balance and not be able to uh, grow at a at a good rate. So. Anyways, I got to a point in my life where my appearance and all that stuff was no longer priority. It's still important, but no longer priority. And with I'd had been having chronic pain for a long time, last probably like five years. And I'm just, I was just fed up with it. I'm just like, what? I need to do something different. Something needs to fundamentally change in the way that I treat my health because this can't be it. I can't be in chronic pain for the rest of my life. Broken down shoulders and knees and ankles and and back. I just, this can't be it. So I was looking for something else. When you're looking down the line, looking at who you want to be, you have to look at who's there. So looking down the line saying, looking at old people. Do I want to be that old dude that is broken down, that hobbles around? that can't play with his grandkids or 
do I want to be that old dude that's kicking it? You know what I'm saying? Mr. Steal Your Grandma, like still out there stunting, 80 years old, like Morgan Freeman, just kicking it, producing quality work, you know, just doing good stuff and being vibrant into my later years. For me, that's what I want. That's what I want for my life. I want to be vibrant. I want to be functional for as long as I possibly can. And I think this information in this book is pertinent to you. And the reason why I bring it to you is because I think it'll be extraordinarily helpful for those of you in your 20s and 30s that are, you're in the middle of your career. Maybe you're starting or have started a family. So you're in career, you're in family and you're like, well, you know, I'll work out next year or I just don't have time to work out or working out is for the jocks. Working out is for those fit people. It's not for me. I, you, need, you need to start working on your body now. You need to start the habits now that will carry you into older age. Because if you think you're just going to pick it up when you're 50 or 60 years old, you can. You can. You definitely can. And you should at any point in your life. It's never too late to start. But if you start doing it now... It'll benefit everything that's going on in your life and it'll benefit you in the future and it'll benefit everyone around you because you'll be healthier and happier. And the standpoint of this book is not about getting jacked. It's not about getting cut. It's not about Insta-worthy photos. It's about how to approach health and fitness from a, from a fundamental and sustainable standpoint. And then uh, it really dials in the idea that you need to exercise because that is what you are made to do. That is what you are made to do. And that's what your body was made for. Your body was not made to sit at a desk. Your body was not made to sit on the couch. Your body was made for work. Chapter one, the end of the world. So this is a setup chapter, basically a summary of what's going to be covered. And it leads into why the book is interesting and what you're, you, you can look to learn through the book. So I want to start off saying that this book is written for old men in their 50s heading into what the author calls the next third of their life. But I think we should take heed as people in our first and second thirds of our life. We don't think about the next, the last third of our life. We think that we just get old, like, okay, cool. I have my kids. I have my career. Once I'm done with that, I'm just going to ride off into the sunset. Nah, man. Like, <laughs> you get old. You get to your, like, 70s and 80s. Life starts to get real hard. When you're old, you start visiting the doctor a ton. Stuff that used to work in your body just stops working. Your eyes start to go. Your ears start to go. Your skin gets weird. Your hair falls out. Um you start to get lonely. Like your kids move across the country. People start dying, like your friends. Like when you're 70 years old, your friends that have been OG homies start to die. And that shit gets sad. Like life gets harder. It doesn't get easier as you get older. It gets harder. And you should start preparing now. Start getting your body in the best place it can be. So when all that other stuff starts stacking up later in life, you're in a much better place rather than being 60 years old trying to make up your health and wellness then when everything else is just a lot harder. So the habits that we begin and maintain through our 20s and 30s will shape the rest of your life and who you are. Like here's a clip from Donald Glover's stand-up weirdo that, that he's saying the same thing. 
you know, you know, I'm 27, like, I'm about to become who I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Like, basically, like, once you hit around your 30s, that's who you're going to be for the rest of your life, pretty much. Like, if you're conservative and you're around your 30s, you're probably going to be conservative for the rest of your life. If you're, like, liberal and you're, you know, in your 30s, you're probably going to be liberal for the rest of your life. You know, if you're a girl and you don't give blowjobs, curl up to your nine cats and your Twilight DVDs because you're going to die alone. <laughs> you're going to die alone. <laughs> Sorry. I love that joke because guys are always like, well put, Mr. Glover. He's not wrong. Like, who you are in your 20s and 30s, you're going to be that for the rest of your life. Unless something drastic happens and completely changes your worldview, usually as we go, we get more, more ingrained in who we are. So if you start to start these healthy patterns now, even little small changes that add up over time, if you start them now, you'll be so much better set up in the future when life starts getting even more and more difficult. So, major keys to this chapter. The rules to getting old are changing. Your dad got old, fat, retired, puttered around, and got ready to die. You want different. Let's look at how we think aging goes. We think we turn 60 and start down the long slide into being an old person in death. Every year you're a little fatter, slower, weaker, and more riddled with pain. That doesn't have to happen. And I quote, you can turn 60 and get functionally younger every year for the next five to 10 years. If you're willing to send your body some different signals, you can get off the slippery slope until you're 80 and beyond. There will be a certain decline eventually, but basically you can be as athletic, vigorous, and alert as you were at 50 until you're 80 or older. And just to kind of pull this chapter together, know better, do better. We know better than the previous generations. We have health clubs, we have juice cleanses, and like all this health-focused stuff. We know about probiotics and macrobiotics. We know so much more about the health of humans. When you know better, you need to do better. Let's do better. Chapter two, how's your wife? The rule for chapter two is get in touch with your spouse significant other or best pal recalibrate restructure strengthen your deal whatever it is and head into the next third as full partners you're going to need help now this book is mainly exercise and nutrition and how that can help you grow younger next year at the end of the book he does talk about and go into how people need connection and we need that to stay young and stay active um, but I find it somewhat interesting that in this first main chapter after the introduction, he starts off the book with get a partner, find a partner, have a partner, keep a partner. I'm a pretty independent person. Like, I, what did I say the other day? I'm aggressively single. <laughs> I'm aggressively single. I'm like, I'm unpartnered and I'm not really looking right now because I'm, I'm more focused on other stuff. But I can see... Uh, how having a partner could make things easier and especially when you have when you're older this is one of those times where i say trust your elders and take their advice and the fact that he put this at chapter two this is very important advice chapter three the new science of aging so this chapter dr henry goes into evolutionary history and kind of breaks down how we got the bodies that we have now like how our bodies evolved to the human body that we have today. 
And, and then he goes on to talk about why our modern sedentary lifestyles are physically and literally killing us and sapping our quality of life. So this chapter starts off saying normal aging isn't normal. 70% of premature death and aging is lifestyle related. Premature death and aging. Death is death. It's coming for you. But premature death and aging is lifestyle related. The way we live today is killing us. Fast food, minimal exercise, sitting for hours, constant mental and environmental stress, isolation, and lack of connected community. This is decay. Decay is not normal aging and is optional. <laughs> now, as I say decay is optional, I can hear some people already going, bullshit. That's bullshit. You're going to decay. You're going to age. Yes, you're going to age. But you can choose the way that you age because decay and aging are different things. Like you've seen 80-year-olds out there running marathons doing these amazing things. Um, still very vibrant, very youthful, mobile. Yeah, they look old. Yeah, their bodies are aging and they can't do the things that a 50-year-old or 30-year-old can do. But they're very mobile, very active, and their bodies are very useful for their age compared to, you know, I've seen people in their 60s that are just, they've been sitting down their whole lives. They've never utilized their bodies. Their joints start breaking down. Their muscles start decaying. Their bones are, you know, osteoporosized. Yes, I just made that word up. <laughs> and, you know, their bodies aren't, they're not working for them anymore. That's the difference between aging and decaying. So you don't have to decay as you age, at least not at the accelerated rate that many of us are on pace to now. And I say many of us are on pace to decay, decay now is because if you look at our modern lifestyle and what we do with our bodies and how we live our lives, many of us are very, very sedentary. If you look at the average person and what they what we do nowadays, we, we spend most of our lives sitting, sitting at desks, sitting on the bus, sitting in, in cars, sitting at home, working on computers, working with our minds in the information age. We're writing, we're creating, we're talking, we're doing things with our mind. But it also, if you look around at the human body and what we're doing nowadays, if you look at any, any sport, any pro athletics, if you look at American Ninja Warrior, you look at what these bodies can do. And right now, we're not talking about the cerebral side of the human. We're talking about the physical side, the body. Again, I go to American Ninja Warrior. These people are doing some freakish things. They're running, they're jumping, they're crawling, they're hanging. They're doing these things. And if you look at, at athletics, that's what the human body was built to do. Ancestrally, millions of years ago, how our body evolved, because bodies and um, organisms evolve over millions of years, not decades takes not even hundreds of years it takes millions of years for evolution to kick in so millions of years ago there you know we weren't intellectual creatures we, yes we're smarter than other animals that's been able to build tools in society and all that good stuff but the human we hunted and gathered like we woke up every day and if we didn't go find food we were gonna die if if you weren't quick enough or fast enough to get away from whatever the fuck is chasing you, you going to die. Like those are the bodies that we evolved from. So these, you know, like I said, American Ninja Warrior, these these parkour people that are jumping over things and pouncing and and marathoners. Marathoners, that's a key component of human evolution. We are endurance hunters. 
we're not faster than hardly any animal. Like most animals can outrun or outfly us or outswim us pretty much the majority. Uh, but we were great at working together. So we were pack hunters and we're endurance hunters. We could track and run down prey over miles and miles and miles and hours and hours. That was our competitive advantage that and our brains. So if we look at where our bodies came from, our bodies came from a, fundam, uh, a, base, a fundamental base of movement. Every day we were getting up and moving. We were going to get food. Like if you got meat, that meat would spoil in a day or two. You have to go continually go out and hunt and go out and move. So with, with, with that knowing, exercise, the physical work of hunting and foraging, that has always been the single most powerful signal we can send our bodies that life is good. Now in chapter three, he goes on to talk about, you know, human life on the, well, he talks about the African savanna. Uh, that's where our ancestors with the human, the human organism evolved from. So, ooh, that's a nice little tooth whistle there. <laughs> Sorry, back to the, back to the content. Um, but the, the, the African savanna, when you know he says when was time when was life most abundant springtime springtime the springtime of life the rains the rains down in africa okay the rains in the springtime brought out brought out growth brought out new there's stuff to chase there's stuff to hunt there's food to gather there's that's the abundant time of life springtime on the savanna That's when, when life is abundant, when you're, you're going out and moving, your body knows that it's going to get more calories. It's going to get more food. It can use the energy that you're, you're, you're eating, the food that you're eating to build new tissue, to build muscle. And you're out hunting, so your immune system has to be sharp. Your immune system has to be tuned up because you're out in the environment being exposed to things. Your mental faculties are sharp because you're on the hunt. You're out getting and doing things. There's blood pumping all over your body. Everything is working at its highest level. This was the springtime on the savanna. So again, when we, when we move on a daily basis, we send our bodies the signal that it's springtime because that's what our bodies know. That's the language that our bodies know. Now think about winter. Think about winter is a time of famine. In nature, there is no reason to be sedentary except for lack of food. Again, you're living in a savanna. You're out, out in the elements. You're, you're living in a cave. Ooga booga. So <laughs> you're, there's no reason for you to stay in that cave unless there's nothing to hunt. Because every day you got to get up and hunt and gather. Food back in the day did not hold very long. If you go hunt something, you kill it, you bring it home, y'all cook it and eat it. And like That shit spoils in a day or two. Like you can't hold on to that so you got to get up and go get some more the next day um food supplies just they you had to keep replenishing them constantly so you had to keep moving so your life was predicated on movement that movement was life and that's the body that we are living in where movement is life so if movement was life what is death what represents death what triggers death what is the cue for death 
being sedentary. Now, the only reason you're staying in that cave is it's winter time. During the time of winter, winter is a time of famine. Winter is a time of the opposite of abundance. There's no food to go get. Shit's not growing. Animals aren't prancing about to be hunted. It is a time of scarcity and famine. During that time, your body doesn't know when it's going to get more food. Your body didn't know. It doesn't know how, when it's going to get more food, so it begins to shut down all of the other systems like and depress many of the systems. It, helps, it depresses our brain function. It depresses our uh, digestion. It depresses our immune function. Shit, being sedentary depresses our emotions, depresses our sexual drive. And I mean, you think about it, if, if you were, you're in a cave, it's wintertime, you're, you're in, a, in time of famine, you don't want to procreate. Your body is going to shut that part down because it's like, it doesn't make any sense to procreate. I mean, that's the original reason for sex is connection and procreation, but we don't want to be procreating if we're in time of famine. So living sedentarily, meaning not exercising maybe one or two days a week, sitting down at work, sitting in the car. All this is signs of decay. And if you keep this up, if you continue this pattern, and remember the things that we do in our 20s and 30s, we're setting the pattern for the rest of our lives. If you now are building a pattern of sitting and building a pattern of decay, you're going to continue that on into your life. Whereas if you now you start to begin to pivot and go to exercise, go to being a hunter every single day, that is going to trigger your body to go, ooh, I'm young. Yeah, I need to be out hunting and getting it and just being active and being live and being young and staying young, keeping the joints young, keeping everything young and out of decay. Your brain knows only what you tell it by the way you live your life. Your tissues, organs, brain, nervous system, internal systems are listening to you all the time. The only thing is, they don't speak English. They read the language of your body. They understand what you do. They only know growth and decay, nothing else. So let's get into chapter four and talk some more about growth and decay and what that means for our bodies. So the title of chapter four is Swimming Against the Tide. What that means is uh, it, the, the tide is a concept that the author uses to explain how the body is naturally designed to either help you out and push you, give you a helping hand through life, or start to pull you down later in life. The tide is the tide of growth and decay. So when you're young, from the age of, from when you're born until probably, I'd say about your early 20s, you can pretty much do anything to your body and your body is going to help you forward. You're, you, that tide is pushing you from behind. So imagine just a tide just lapping up behind you, pushing you forward. You can fall down and things heal easily. Like you scrape your knee, that thing is healed quickly. You fall down and bump something. Ah! And you get back up like, ah, I'm okay. And you just keep going. Even like through high school and college, you know, I remember when I was a kid, like we used to go out and party. You know, I'm 19, 20 years old. We out here in these streets, partying, drinking, staying up till 2 a, 3, 4 a.m. And he's like, oh yeah, I've got class at seven in the morning. And you wake up all chipper. You don't even know what a hangover is. You're just like, yeah, let's go. Because that tide of growth is behind you. No matter what you're doing to your body, it's helping you forward. Now, a lot of you, if you're past 
the age of 23, 25, you've felt that kind of that metabolic shift. You felt where your body doesn't bounce back as fast as it used to. You start getting hangovers. You start getting two-day hangovers. Uh, you don't. You can't just hit the gym hard one day and go back the next and do it again because you're like, oh man, I'm still really sore and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired. It, it, man, that Burger King I ate last night really didn't, uh, isn't helping me out today. You know, you notice that the tide of growth is gone. And it starts coming back at you as the tide of decay. Now, as you're younger, you know, you're in your 20s and 30s, the tide of decay is very soft. It's just a little bit because it's kind of pushing you back gently, pushing you back gently. It's not, you know, it's not dragging you down yet. It's not very strong, but it's there. And it's not, and that, that tide of decay is gone. And it's not, or the tide of growth, excuse me, is gone. And it's not there to help you out anymore. And it's noticeable. Now, the scary thing about the tide is that every year you get older, the tide gets stronger. That's why, you know, going back to chapter three, we talked about, oh, we, we think aging and decay are synonymous. They can be if you don't do shit because that tide, it gets stronger as you get older. And a good way to think about the tide is as background noise. Now, imagine a metronome just kind of ticking in the background. So this is the tide of decay. Again, after you're out of your early 20s, you start to get this background noise of decay. It's always there. In your 20s and like late 20s, 30s, the tide of decay is very silent. You can still keep partying. You can still keep raging. You don't have to work out. You don't really have to do too much to keep your body healthy, healthy-ish and functional because the tide is very soft. Now, this tide of decay is always there, always flowing. As you start to get older, you start to get into your 30s, mid-30s, late 30s, 40s, into your 50s. As you age, this tide of decay starts to get a bit more aggressive. That's the tide that we have like, hey, you know, aging and decay are the same thing. They're not. But this uh, uh, tide of decay, like I'm getting old. Like you see this tide's getting, it's overwhelming me. Shit, I'm old and I'm broken down. And eventually in the end the tide wins you you it, oh, decay overcomes you and you die but that's just a natural part of life so knowing that that tide is always there in our lives if you are sedentary and you don't do anything to push back the tide that tide is going to overwhelm you qu more quickly and more powerfully in younger years so you're like okay this tide I, I know it's there. I want to fight it back. How do we do that? Well, we have four simple rules to fighting the tide of decay. Rule number one, and mostly I ain't going to want to hear this, exercise six days a week for the rest of your life. And I quote, daily, and I mean daily exercise, is your most effective tool for fighting back the tide of decay. If you want to stay young and healthy for the rest of your life, you need to treat exercise like it's your job, not, some, not something you should be doing. I shouldn't exercise. I should probably go to the gym today. I don't know. I just, I, just, I don't know. I'm tired. I just, I think, I know I should go, but I mean, Jackie's going to go. Maybe I should meet her there. But No, no, it's your job to treat your health and exercise six days a week. Back to the quote. And three days a week is not better than nothing. It is not enough, he says. 
You need to send the signal for growth that overrides the tide of decay on a daily basis or else it won't work. Let that sink in. Remember, your body is always listening. When you're sitting and you don't send any signals to grow, your body is decaying, not resting. You need to move and move daily. Now, to wrap up this chapter, I personally love this mindset because I feel like in our culture and the way that the fitness industry has been built up and in our minds, our impression of it, we often see working out as means to an end. I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying to get jacked. I'm trying to get cut. I want to be buff. I want my Instagram photos to be popping. But that turns a lot of people off. And that's not motivation for a lot of people. We don't see fitness. We see fitness as an exercise as a luxury. When we need to be looking at it as a necessity, as something essential for us to live a high quality of life. We need to make exercise something we do every day. Just like, like brushing your teeth. You don't question, oh, should I brush my teeth? Should I shower today? Like you don't question that because that's what you do to keep your body healthy, to keep, you know, to keep your, your, your self-image, your self-respect, your self-love. You do that. That's just hygiene. Exercise should be hygienic, not a luxury, not something, I don't know if I, I think I, I guess I guess I'll work out today. <laughs> no, we need to throw that mindset out the window and get a new mindset based on living a high quality of life within the body that we are given, this body that was meant for work. Chapter five, the biology of growth and decay. So this chapter gets hella nerdy and technical. <laughs> I am not gonna get into that. I, I recommend checking out the book. I'm gonna really glaze over it and try to break it down so that it's easier to digest in this format. And if you're more interested, definitely recommend buying this book. So the idea in this chapter is that deliberate decay triggers growth. Now, we've been talking about decay as a background noise. Now we're talking about actually inducing decay so that we can trigger the growth cycle. Now think about, I'll use the analogy of a callus on your hand. So we damage that tissue just a slight micro trauma, a little bit of damage. We don't rip the whole hand open, but we, you know, ouch, that hurts a little bit. And then when your skin is damaged, it grows back bigger and tougher. So the next time you're doing that activity that may damage it again, your skin in that area will be tougher than last time and won't get damaged. Focused intentional decay creates the growth that we need to stay young. This chapter goes into the science behind how the cycle of micro-injury, inflammation, and repair are your body's key to rebuilding itself and staying young. Exercise is the master signaler that sets off the cycles of strengthening and repair within the muscles and joints. This is the main reason why we need to exercise daily as a practice, as a hygiene, not just for vanity's purpose. And I quote, it is the foundation of positive brain chemistry. It leads directly to the younger life we are promising with its heightened immune system, better sleep, weight loss, insulin regulation and fat burning, improved sexuality, dramatic resistance to heart attack, stroke, hypertension, arthritis, diabetes, high cholesterol, and depression. End quote. How's that possible? Well, here's the science behind it. 
Instigated decay from exercise is what triggers growth. This type of injury is called adaptive microtrauma, and it's critical to your growth and health. It's, it's the signal to your body that it needs to repair the damage, not just the damage from the microtrauma you just created via exercise, but also the damage from that daily tide of low underlying decay. So exercise helps to, that microtrauma helps to repair the damage from the tide. It needs to make muscles just a little bit stronger to store up a little more energy for tomorrow. Exercise turns on inflammation, which automatically turns on repair. Wait a minute, Josh. I thought inflammation was bad. I saw something on TV and it was like, you're inflamed and that's bad. <laughs> inflammation in itself is not bad. Chronic global inf inflammation is bad, but targeted inflammation from exercise is good. Damaged muscle creates inflammation. So when there is inflammation from, from any type of inflammation, white blood cells come to the scene to repair. They demolish the dying and damaged cells in order for growth and repair to take place in their stead. But, and this is, what, this is the but, if the stress is chronic, if the inflammation is chronic, then decay remains firmly in charge. So when your cells, your muscle cells, the cells in your body sense damage, say from the exercise, the adaptive microtrauma, they automatically release chemicals to, to start the inflammation and set the stage for repair. After the inflammatory cycle has removed the damaged tissue, a fresh, a fresh surface is left behind for the growth part of the decay and repair cycle. Now, here comes the nerdy part. The proteins, just stick with me for a moment. The proteins that control inflammation are called cytokines. Cytokine 6, we're going to call it C6, Cytokine 6, C6 is the master chemical for inflammation. Hashtag decay. Okay? C6 equal decay. C6. Bad. Low-level background C6 is constantly being produced in your body, a.k.a. the tide. So bad. Bad C6. Bad C6. Low-level C6 is bad. Okay? That's the tide. But high levels of C6 is produced both in the muscles and the bloodstream in response to exercise. That is good. High levels of C6 is good. Why? Because of C10. Cytokine 10 is the master chemical for repair and growth. Repair and growth is what we want for the rest of our lives. We want to create that for our lifetime. So that C10, that C, that's that sauce. That's that sauce that you want flowing through your body for the rest of your life. And that, that's, I, we're going to call C10 the sauce. That's how, you, how do you get that sauce? By instigated decay, by elevated levels of C6. Only the elevated, not the low levels. Only the elevated levels of C6 will trigger that sauce. And how do we produce elevated levels of C6? only through instigated decay, only through exercise. So if you want that sauce, if you want repair and growth for the rest of your life, the only way to get that is through exercise. So if you are not growing, you're dying. If you're not exercising, if you're not stimulating your body to repair and grow, you ain't getting that sauce and you are in decay. So remember that principle, decay triggers growth. Now, in talking about the blood chemistry of growth and decay, this next point is a major key. Major key.
Now it's very important to know that C6 and C10 are not just produced, they're not just, doesn't just pop up in the muscles. It's produced in the bloodstream. That sauce is in your bloodstream. Why is that a major key? Because the sauce doesn't just trigger repair and growth in your muscle. Exercise and the sauce change the entire chemistry of your blood. During and after exercise, this growth-rich blood, this sauce, is circulated through every corner of our body by our circulatory system. The messages of inflammation and repair, of growth and healing, are sent to every corner of your body, from your brain in the top of your head all the way down to the tips of your toes, from your heart to your kidneys to your intestines to your fingers to your knees, every joint, every bone, every organ, every tiny part of your brain. This, this is how exercise fights decay in your entire body. So this is the major key. This is why we need to exercise, hunt, and gather daily. We need to produce that sauce, that C10, every day to replenish this and restore our bodies. That is the condition of springtime. That is the condition of getting younger next year. That's the condition our bodies wish to live in. Now, you might be all hyped now, like, oh, yeah, decay triggers growth. Okay, don't get it twisted, though. Not all decay triggers growth. Some decay is just simply decay. Like our modern lifestyles is simply decay. Steady signals for decay, chronic C6 and minimal C10. No exercise, shitty food, sitting in traffic all day, stress at work, chronic emotional stress, loneliness, boredom, apathy, worry. All of that produces a trickle, a low-level background trickle of C6 of decay, that's decay without growth, without repair. So if the, you think you're cool just like sitting around and not really, you know, not actually damaging your health, he, he, I have a quote from the book where he says, that's why a man who is 30 pounds overweight, smoking a pack a day, but exercising every day, has a lower statistical mortality than a thin, sedentary non-smoker. Just because you're not deliberately unhealthy doesn't mean that you are healthy. You need to physically work. So to summarize chapter five, that was a big juicy chapter. There was a lot of good stuff in there. So to summarize chapter five, exercise is more than just looking, looking good and posting gym selfies. It's an essential part of life and how your body and mind function at their peak condition. So staying young is about deliberate damage to your tissues. So your body gets that sauce and it gets that signal that it needs to replace old tissue with new, stronger tissue. Remember the, the idea of the callus. The only language your body speaks is movement, so daily exercise is the only way to tell your body to grow younger every day. So that's it for chapter five. Let's jump right into chapter six. Life is an endurance event. Train for it. So chapter six brings us to rule number two. If you remember, rule number one was exercise six days a week for the rest of your life. Yeah, I know you're still trying to shake that one off. <laughs> but rule number two is do serious aerobic exercise four days a week for the rest of your life. Okay. So the author goes on to say, a human being at their prime is a highly conditioned endurance hunter. That is the prime physical, mental, emotional, and chemical states for our bodies. So do the one thing that signals your body that you're an endurance hunter that needs to be functional, energetic, 
and sharp to provide for you and your tribe. <laughs> so I know that's not great news for a lot of y'all, especially dudes. Dudes just, just want to get jacked and get in the gym and, and hit the weights. But uh, fellas, you need to hit that cardio. I'm sorry to say it. Um, personally, I've just started getting more of it. I do a lot of high intensity training and like uh, functional, like, you know, it gets my cardiovascular going. But I've recently gotten to, after reading this book, uh, where three days a week I get up and part of my morning routine is I get on the treadmill and I walk uphill. Uh, it's nothing crazy. I'm not like, <laughs> like super out of breath because I'm not sprinting. Um, but I'm just getting that, turning on that hunter-gatherer, turning on that instinctual uh, rebuilding process every day. So how much of this cardio exercise do we need to do? I think the re national recommended, like if you go to the doctor, they're like, get 20 minutes of exercise every day. Now, when you hear that, you hear get 20 minutes of exercise, but that's the minimum, the bare ass minimum of exercise you need to be doing. Like, you know, with anything else in life, when you do the minimum, you get the minimum. So like 20 minutes a day is the bare ass minimum. Dr. Dr. Uh, Dr. Henry Lodge recommends in this book, he says, when you exercise, that means at least 45 minutes of serious exercise. It doesn't matter what kind of exercise you're doing, just something that gets your heart rate up and keeps it there for an extended period of time. When we talk about cardio, like I talk to clients and they're like, oh yeah, well, I cleaned the house for two hours today. Like I got up and I, you know, I walked the dog and did this. Okay. That's movement, which is great. It's wonderful. The more you move, the better. But as far as training that heart muscle, the real question is with cardio, did you elevate your heart rate to blank beats per minute and keep it there for an extended period of time? That is the real question. And the blank heart rate depends on, um, depends on your age and what your max heart rate is and whatnot, which we'll get into in a bit. But can you keep and maintain an elevated heart rate for an extended period of time? That's what counts as cardio, not cleaning your apartment, not walking your dog, not, oh, I chase the kids around. Okay. Let's just make that clear. That shit does not count when we're talking about cardio aerobic exercise. You know, Dr. Lodge's quote from the book to that point is people lie to themselves insisting that their minutes walking around the office to and from lunch, there are 30 push-ups a day or walking the dog is all the workout they need. It is not aerobic. It's not creating the healing growth process that we need to stay young. Quit lying to yourself and go sweat. Now at the end of this chapter, the author makes an interesting point, which I completely agree with. Uh, it's, it's about nerds and jocks and getting back into working out. The author says that he finds that jocks of old, you know, people who used to play high school sports, used to play college sports, they have a picture in their mind of who they used to be. They're like, yo, I used to be able to dunk. I used to be able to run up four, five, forty. I used to be able to swim, blah, blah, blah. And when they get back into exercise in their late twenties or thirties or forties, they can't perform the same. Their bodies are different. Their conditioning's different. Their skill level's different. And they're older and they're like, oh shit, I can't do this anymore. This is really hard. This used to be easy. You know what? Screw this. I don't need this. I'm, I'm still wearing the same pant size as I was in high school. And 
a lot of people get turned away. They, they get dissuaded because they can't perform the way that they used to. So they're like, screw it. I'm just not going to do it. And it gets frustrating. And I, I get that because I used to, I, I was really fast when I was a kid. Um, I used to, I used to play ball. Like I used to play a lot of basketball. And like last time I got on the court, I was so slow. Jumper was so, but no, my jumper was still kind of fired up. <laughs> but I was really slow. And like just my first step was just real slow. And my body just didn't perform the same way. I went and played tennis. I played tennis through high school and I'm just trash at it now, you know, and it's just, it makes you not want to do it, but you have to know that you're not going to be the same because you're not dedicating the same amount of time or effort to it. But then at the, on the other side of the coin, nerds or people who weren't very physical in high school, people who just had other pursuits or didn't, you know, didn't want to go to gym class, didn't want to be with the jocks because they got bullied or whatever they just didn't fit in or just didn't want to do it but nerds often have an easier time getting into fitness because you can get into it without any expectations and create the best body you've ever had in your life you're not looking back saying oh I wish or I remember you've never been in shape or you've never been where you focused on health and fitness you can now and you can work into the best shape of your life I think that's pretty rad and, and, and even motivation for some for you to just get started and start treating your health and take care of your body. It's pretty cool. So let's roll on into chapter seven. So chapter seven uh, is called the biology of exercise and talks about the, you know that aerobic training we just said you need to be doing 45 minutes of four days a week. Talks about how that aerobic training uh, affects your body and the why behind it. So he's not just saying do aerobic training for 45 minutes. This whole chapter is dedicated to why we should exercise for 45 minutes a day. So hunting and foraging are our essential physical rhythms. Those two activities consumed most of our waking hours when we lived in nature. And it doesn't matter that you're walking through the park rather than foraging or that you're at a CrossFit class rather than hunting because your body gets the same ancient signal. Remember, we inherited these bodies from our ancestors who evolved as hunters and gatherers. That's, the, that's what's predicating this, this, uh, this standpoint. So let's, let's take a look at the two different metabolisms that our bodies use for foraging and hunting. So I'm going to break this down into a couple different parts. It's, it's a, bit of a, a bit of a chapter to chew on, some good information in here. So foraging, let's start, with, let's start there. Foraging is low-intensity light aerobic exercise that burns fat to create energy. It's anything up to 64% of your max heart rate. So when we talk about max heart rate, a lot of people say, what is, okay, what is that? Uh, so your max heart rate, you take 220 and subtract your age. And there's, there's a scientific way of finding this. This is just kind of the layman's way of quickly finding a max heart rate range for you. So you take 220, minus your age, so if you're 20 years old, you take 220 minus 20, that's 200, and then anything under 65%, he considers foraging. That's low intensity, light aerobic exercise. So you just take that percentage. So when you were doing your exercise, you should shoot for uh, roughly 65% of your max heart rate. Now, how do you do that? Get a heart rate monitor. Um, 
heart rate monitors, they they have them on most cardio machines, but you can get one online for 50 bucks or I think I think the Apple Watches have them. Maybe y'all could, y'all could help me out with that. I think they do. I don't have one, so I don't, I don't know. But it's very important to track your heart rate when you are focusing on training your cardiovascular health or doing aerobic work. So anything up to 64% of your max heart rate, that is considered the foraging low-intensity fat-burning zone. You should be a little excited, a little out of breath, maybe glistening. You know what I'm saying? Sweat glistening all over your body. Sweat dripping all over your body, <laughs> but nothing crazy, right? You're not not going crazy, not pouring sweat, but just a little glistening. At this level, your muscles burn mostly fat, so it's your most fuel-efficient pace. It's one that you can keep up all day. This is the metabolic zone where your body and brain heal and grow. Around 64, below 64%. Think a long, easy hike or nature walk or flat bike ride. Something chill, but still active. The metabolic zone where your body and brain grow. It's a zone where steady, low-grade C10 drives the slow, consistent growth of infrastructure. Blood vessels and mitochondria in your muscles repair and heal throughout your body. You become more fit with harder exercise. True. But you gain more endurance and general healthiness with prolonged light exercise. Long, slow exercise is the opposite of chronic inflammation of modern living. Long, slow exercise is the tide of youth. youth, youth, youth. This is the essential. This is our bare minimum for what we need to do every day. Our bare minimums get up and forage. That's like around 65% of your max heart rate, a little bit sweaty, a little bit out of breath, but you can do that stuff all day long. That's our bare minimum, y'all. Okay? Okay. So just to, and just to uh, put in a little bit of framework for you, this book was written for old dudes, specifically for old dudes. There is, there's actually a woman's version, Younger Next Year for Women. There's a woman's version because this book is so tailored for old dudes. So speaking to old dudes, they're like, go for a light bike ride, uh, go for a gentle walk. You know, for y'all, for millennials, y'all younger folks that are listening, the light walks that work for a 60-year-old won't work for you. You got to get to getting it because your your max heart rate is higher. Like you go through that equation, your 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 age is a lot lower, so your max heart rate is a lot higher. You need to do a little a bit more to get into that heart rate zone. Um, like I said, I think I said this. I get on a treadmill. Yeah, I get it. I told you that. I get on a treadmill, kick it uphill, and get to hiking. I'm not going so hard where I'm like completely out of breath. I I read a book on the treadmill, but that's my reading time. I kind of get a double whammy every every time that I do cardio, uh, of that two knocking out two lifestyle goals of mine of being healthy and younger next year, and also reading. So I get my reading done while I'm on the treadmill because I'm not like <laughs> doing all that. I'm a little out of breath, but I can still uh, I'm still going at a pace where I can read a book. So from foraging, we move on to hunting, which is high intensity, hard aerobic exercise that burns glucose for energy rather than fat. Uh, glucose burns faster. So it's a, like a different metabolic system. When you need energy quickly, your body often burns, your, your body needs to burn something that will mm, be readily available quickly. Uh, body fat, it's a bit more complex 
and it takes longer to break down. That's why that long, slow cardio gives your body time to go into the fat stores and go, okay, let's dig some of this out and burn it for energy. But glucose burns hard and fast. And when you're going, uh, you know, you're going to a spin class, you're going to, a, a, you know, a boot camp class, a CrossFit class, something high intensity, something or, or strength, strength training, your body needs to burn glucose. And that's a different metabolic system. So hard aerobics, work, uh, working up a sweat, getting your heart rate above 65% is our favorite exercise rhythm because hunting brings out our youngest and best biology. Strong, fast, energetic, and optimistic all day long. Okay? So the author says you should do low aerobic exercise a couple times a week to build your base, then go out and play hard on high aerobic fields the other days. Tell your body it's springtime. So I'm going to give you guys mine, uh, what I do, uh, just to kind of give you an example. So three days a week, like I said, I get on the treadmill, walk uphill at a somewhat intense, lightly intense pace, read a book. The other three days a week, I do mm, circuit-style strength training. So I go to Fuel House, which is a kettlebell, a strong first kettlebell gym here in Seattle. Uh, uh, Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays, I teach there, but I also uh, take classes there. We swing kettlebells, which is strength-based, and also, if you've ever swung kettlebells, that, shit, that cardio will get you going. Uh, but I do that three days a week. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm hitting cardio. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, uh, I am doing weights. I'm doing strength training, and I and I get the cardio mixed in with that because we're we're lifting at a pretty high intensity. Also, on my my cardio days, I will do I'll do some strength training and some some of my rehab and mobility work on my cardio days. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, if you're not doing mobility work, you should be working on joint mobility, hip, ankle, shoulder knees, all that good stuff. I, I work that in and I'll often do, uh, I do some upper body, just kind of some, you know, just, just some resistance training because Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays, we train a lot of legs. We train a lot of core and legs, not a lot of vanity muscles. I'll do some vanity lifting days when I'm feeling like it, hitting them, you know, hitting them, hitting them chesticles, hitting them arms, Giving them the little gun show, you know, here, giving the gun show, trying to build up them shoulders, looking like Boulder. Okay, I'm done. But th so that's <laughs> that's what I get into, um, and I'm, it's getting me six days of work a week, and then Sundays I head over to Moto Yoga and I do a Yin Yoga uh, on Sunday evenings just to get that relaxation, recovery, all that good stuff. Now, a very important question is how do we tell the difference between that lower intensity foraging and the higher intensity uh, hunting? So the author goes, he spends like two pages, places a lot of importance on getting a heart rate monitor, monitoring your heart rate, because as you get past that threshold of 65%, your body switches energy systems, goes from burning fat to glucose and fat. And depending on what you're trying what your goal is for the day it's good to know what intensity you're working at so he highly 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 recommends getting a heart rate monitor now there is a third metabolic level like i call it attack mode you know we talk about foraging we talk about hunting hunting is that endurance hunting but what happens when you go in for the kill you know what i'm saying you got to get anaerobic 
aka interval training, aka strength training. You got to get anaerobic sometimes. Uh, the author goes and says, getting to the point where you're working so intensely hard that your body needs immediate energy and only burns stored glucose and oxygen to make energy. Playing at an anaerobic level is a great way to get in peak shape. It's the ultimate hunting signal. It doesn't do anything for longevity or probably for overall health, but it's great for feeling like an alpha predator and for pure fitness. Chapter 7 wraps up, stressing the importance of simply showing up. He says, it's the habit and routine of exercise that leads to success. People don't fall off track because they do the wrong exercises while they're at the gym. They fall off track because they stop going. Real talk. With any of my clients, the ones that get the best results are the clients that do the homework that I give them. You know, I, I often get clients, we, you know, we train two days a week or so you know, maybe even three, but then on their off days, they're not doing the exercises, they're not doing the homework, and they get minimal results. They're doing okay, but the ones that, sh that show up, no matter what, they're doing their exercises, they're doing at work, those are the ones that get the best results. And anytime, like no matter what you're doing at the gym, if you're not going to the gym, but like once a week, doesn't matter what you're doing while you're there, your results are gonna be minimal. And the author makes a good analogy he says, you don't question if you're going to go to work. You don't wake up on a Tuesday Tuesday morning like, oh, I wonder if I, do I feel like going to work today? No, you don't question it. You just go because that's your job with your body, with your health. You don't question if you're going to go to the gym today. You just go because that's your job. Like Our health is one of the only things we can't outsource. You can't hire somebody else to exercise for you. Unfortunately, we can't. You have to do it yourself. You have to show up. Treat it like your job. It's just something that you do. It's part of your life. You don't question your work. You shouldn't question your health and your exercise. I'm going to wrap up this first episode of the podcast with chapters 8 and 9 about long-term fitness goals that you should be able to do in your 80s and even more so in your 30s, and then how to kind of trick yourself <laughs> into reaching your goals. So chapter 8, the heart of the matter, aerobics. Long-term, he has three long-term fitness goals that you should be able to do in your 80s. And the first one is you should be able to do long, slow aerobics, foraging, right, for three hours without being complete, completely destroyed. So, for instance, going for a hike, going for a three-hour bike ride, you should be able to do these activities at least once a month. That's what the author says, at least once a month. You should be able to do this and not be just like have it ruin your day where like, I'm so sore. I'm so tired. <gasps> if you can't do this, you need to start working on your health because this is the bare minimum of what you should be able to do. Now, he does recommend that you do this once a month, which it can. I, for me, that's tough to recommend to my clients like, hey, you need to set aside three hours a month to go and hike this mountain over here. I mean, yeah, that's a great goal to do. Some people are so ingrained in, in the midst of raising a family and their career, you know, doing this, that, and the other. It's very difficult to find that time. But it's a good goal to set as something to work, work towards. Finding where you can free up some time to be like once a month, we're going to go on a maybe take a family outing. Like let's go move around, get our heart rates up for three hours uh, once a month. 
as a second endurance goal, you should be able to do high endurance aerobics for an hour. High endurance aerobics is serious work where you can no longer talk other than a few panta words, right? 70 to 85% of your maximum heart rate. That's like coming to one of my boot camps, coming to one of my hit classes, being able to do a high intensity class, high intensity aerobics for an hour, at least once a month. You should be able to do that. No sweat. Well, some sweat, but you should be able to do that without absolutely dying. Okay. That's, that's another baseline goal. If you can't do that, you might want to get in better shape. Okay. He also goes on to say two hours of this is wonderful. Reach this goal and you'll be in super shape. Um, I have people that come, I teach back-to-back classes on Monday, Wednesday at Community Fitness in Seattle, and people do two of them. I'm like, how the hell are you doing two classes back-to-back? They're like, I don't know, man. I just, you know, uh, I got fat this weekend. I need two. I'm like, okay. But people do it. It's doable. You can do two hours in a row. It's just, that's a, and these are goals. These are goals you should uh, aspire to. A third goal, finally, and least urgently, he says, you should be able to do real balls-to-the-wall, all-out sprints, or some other flat-out activity at anaerobic levels for a minute or two. That's like wind sprints, like being able to go and sprint for a minute or two. I mean, that's intense. That's, 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 that's a lot. But, you know, it's, it's, he said it's nice to have, to be able to just go out and play and go out and sprint and do that. Now, I know I talk about fitness goals and, like, getting into fitness makes it sound so easy. And I know it's not. It's it's hard to change momentum. And if you're used to just sitting or just being sedentary, it is very hard to change your momentum and just start exercising six days a week, doing four days of cardio and two days lifting and all that stuff. It's hard to do. So chapter nine uh, is, is called Kedging. The Kedging Trick, I think it's called. Yeah, the Kedging Trick. Basically, he goes into ways you can kind of leverage yourself into getting back into fitness or getting into fitness at all. Uh, Here's a few examples of uh, what he talks about. Uh, Hiring a trainer or joining a new gym or signing up for fitness classes that you can't cancel. Giving yourself some accountability by, you know, hiring somebody, putting your, excuse me, putting your money where your mouth is. I find that effective. Some, like sometimes people hire me just to have someone that the oh shit, I know I have to go see my trainer, or I paid for this, I'm going to go do it. That money can be a motivator. That's one way to do it. Uh, Booking an adventure trip, like skiing or hiking or running a half marathon, when you know you can't, you damn straight can't run no half marathon. But you booked it anyways, it's six months out, and you're like, okay, I've got six months of marathon training to do. Buying a piece of gear is another way to kind of get yourself into it. If you buy a new tennis racket, you're probably going to go play some more tennis. You're not just going to sit on it because, again, you put some money to it, you put some some skin in the game, and you're like, well, I better go do this. Um, an easy way to do it is buy some new fitness clothes. You know, when you got some fly gear and you're like, ooh, I better go stunt. You can't just go stunt, you know, at the grocery store and your new Gymshark and you know, tights and shit. I mean, you can. But, you're, you know, if, you're, if your intent is working out, you're much more likely to go to the gym and work out hard. So I notice shoes. When people come to my classes with new shoes on, I'm like, oh, it's new shoe day. And they be like, yeah, you know, you know, my shoes, they are kind of fly. Thanks for noticing. But the funny thing that I notice is people go hard when they get new shoes. Like run faster, jump higher, just like work harder. 
I mean, I do too. I'm just like, man, these new shoes got that new spring in them. You know what I'm saying? They feel good. They all tight and snug, and they feel good hugging my foot. You know what I'm saying? Like, people do work out harder noticeably when they have some fresh kicks on. So buy yourself some new shoes, buy yourself some new clothes, and take your ass to the gym, to the court, to the field, whatever it is you're doing, to the mountain. Buy some new stuff. Catch yourself. Give yourself a little boost and go. And that'll do it for episode one. Coming up in episode two, we're going to move on to strength training and nutrition and how we can leverage those in turning back your biological clock. In the meantime, if you have any questions, any if sparked anything in your mind you'd like to ask me, hit me up online. I'd love to hear from you and connect. I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Treat Your Health Podcast, uh, on Twitter at TYH Podcast, and the website is treatyourhealthpodcast.com. You can go there and connect and uh, shoot me an email or anything like that. My name is Joshua Hunter, reminding you to treat your health. Peace. Peace.